Does anybody remember the um, title of chapter 18? <laughs> you can't look, you can't go looking around. There we go. Moksha Sanyas Yoga. So that's what we're working on, the final chapter, Krishna is, you know, like, this is it, I've been stringing you along all this while. Now I'm going to tell you the secret of moksha, I'm going to tell you the secret of sannyas, because, as you said, that's what moksha is, right? Eventually you have to let go of whatever this reality is, and then you awaken in a whole new reality. So sannyas isn't just, oh, I have to give things up and empty myself, it's just, you have to choose. <laughs> you can have one reality, and that's the reality of spirit, or you can have the reality that every day we wake up to, and we are so attached to, and we're so hypnotized by, and so eager to continue to live in. And that's what sannyas is. In fact, on a humorous note, uh, if you remember in the autobiography, you had Baduri Mahashaya, who was a this beautiful saint who lived very close to little Mukunda Yogananda's house. And he was said to come from a very wealthy family. So, you know, his disciples sometimes would come and say, Oh, you are a true renunciate, you are a true sannyasi. You've given up all these, you know, riches. And, and he would say, No, I think you're getting it wrong because I've just given up a few paltry pennies for an infinite treasure house of bliss. I think you guys are the real sannyasis because you're, you're giving up the entire universe to hold on to this tiny reality. And so this sannyas that we're really working with, we have to look at it this way. We're already sannyasis because we're willing to let go of an infinite reality to really hold on to this one. And we're just trying to switch, kind of flip what that sannyas might mean for us. But that requires us already to be more connected to a higher reality. Otherwise, we're never going to let this go. This is so enticing. This is so real. This is so involving. <coughs> Unless we don't create a similar involvement with bliss, with freedom, with love, with true wisdom, why would we ever let this go? So moksha and sannyas from that perspective really go hand in hand, cannot have freedom without kind of letting our hand just open and letting slip from our grasp, whatever it is that we cling to the most. Um, we're on <clears throat> verse 19 and Already early on in this chapter, once again, Krishna has started the gunas, introducing this. We've been following the theme of the gunas, I think, for the last five, six chapters consistently. There's not been a chapter in the last, ever since we started the kind of the Jnana Yoga phase of the Gita. We talked about how the Gita is divided. The beginning is a little bit more focused on Karma Yoga. The central section is a little bit more focused on Bhakti Yoga. And then you've got the last section, a little bit more Gyan. And ever since we were in Gyan, it's just the Gunas. Everything he says, well, and in this, there are three types. What are these three types? And we know he's going to talk about the Gunas. And he's back at it. We've been talking at lunch. We were just discussing it. We are just like, isn't it amazing how important Krishna thinks the Gunas are? That he just brings us back to it. Because it really gives us the most perfect, and what's the right word? But ladder, perhaps. To say, isse upar kya hai? You know, agar main abhi hao to next mera kya stage hai? What's next for me? And that's what the gunas are, because we're never going to get into freedom in some sort of blazing glory. Like, ah, oh, bas, you know, aaj ho raha hai. We're just gonna inch our way. At some point, we'll be entirely in sattva, and then at that point, only at that point, we'll be willing to let go. That sannyas will only come once we have 
experience this world at its highest experience then we'll say ab kya hai iske aage then we want to peer beyond that wall but as long as we're still in the gunas and any of the other lower if the three are still at play then there is that means there's just stuff to learn that's all that's all that means there's still stuff to learn so let's see now what he's talking about in our last verse he talked about which was 18th knowing knower known these three together constitute the impulse to action which is the doer the awareness of the deed and the deed itself so this part we know talked about how in meditation that's kind of the goal we're like you know that that's one of the definitions of meditation knower knowing known as one so now he goes on which is the 19th verse and says awareness of the act the accomplishment of the act <coughs> and the person accomplishing it are described in the shankhya system as being of three types well what are these three types which are according to the gunas involved hear me now about the manifestations of these three types so not only is the knowing knower known in itself right now in our mind separate but knowing knower known ke bhi abhi ye iske mein bhi gunas hain isme bhi gunas hain isme bhi gunas hain and it's almost like we have to match all three you know like <laughs> i don't know if it's like with those casino mein you get those little what are they called i don't know slot machines where you know the jackpot is hit when all three match is like knowing knower known and you have to get it all into that sattva or you know to really even understand rajas fully or to perhaps fully manifest tamas which is not that hard for the majority of us but we got to get the understanding of how do i get these three together because it's not a mental thing it's not like meditation mein baithe and bas suddenly knowing knower known ek ho gaya ek has to become matlab in the gunas they have to become vibrationally the same even if you're able to fully understand rajas and unite with that guna entirely that's its own level of unity it's not a bad thing at all in fact it'll give you a clearer picture of therefore what that vibration feels like and then what perhaps lies beyond that so let's see what he talks about overjuna understand that influence to be sattvic so first he is talking about the influences that we feel the <coughs> influence to be sattvic in which let me say that again understand that influence to be sattvic in which the one indestructible spirit is perceived as residing in all beings where the undivided is in the divided and not as separate in each of them so the first aspect of sattva is the influence of how our mind perceives our mind naturally perceives everything as separate you're separate i'm separate she's separate this is the harmonium that i'm about to play this is a book that i'm holding in my hand this is the guitar and mentally somewhere we're like but sab you know sab bhagwan and everything is like brahman but what krishna is saying is we can't have first separate and then everything is god we have to first understand entirely everything is god and maybe he's manifesting in the ways that he needs to manifest one example our guru would use often would be that of the kind of going to the movies he he loved this example he would say i when i go to the movies you should hear some of his talks he gets so excited about it. he says i go to the movie and while everybody is focused on the screen i turn my head and i look to the booth from where i see that one beam of light 
then manifesting on the screen as villains and heroes and love stories and tragedies and ups and downs and great joys and great sorrows. But yaha, we are focused here, but I am focused at the beam. So that's the difference here. And in order to have that kind of sattvic influence behind any action we do, behind any perception that we create of this world, we first have to say, Bhai, kaha se what is this light that's manifesting as multiple? Not, oh yeah, the world is varied, but God is in fact in all of them. That's, a, that's the Rajasik, in fact, version of life. First seeing separation and then trying to justify unity. Whereas we need to first recognize unity and then see that unity manifesting in as many forms as is naturally present before us. Look first to the beam. That's a wonderful kind of visual to have in our meditations as well. Where's this light coming from that's you know, shining on the screen of this universe, of this world? And how can I get back to that light? And that's one thing that we're trying to look for in meditation, aren't we? That one light. So that's the first thing. My sattvic influence comes from how I perceive <coughs> this world as varied or as united first. Second, that influence, <coughs> on the other hand, which is based on seeing the multiplicity of beings as real, is by nature rajasic. So if we first see separation, which is how the majority of us relate to this world, pehle separation dekhte hai. So that's a rajasic energy because we're seeing we're seeing the vibration, we're not seeing the stillness. When vibration happens, movement happens, restlessness happens, which is what rajas means. Energy moves, anytime energy moves, there's a certain amount of restlessness. And in that movement, we see both ends of the movement, the good, the bad, the good friends of mine, the, you know, the self-acclaimed enemies of mine, people I love, people I don't love, things I like, things I don't like. So we kind of draw just a little bit of a line in the sand and anytime you think of somebody, something, some activity, some understanding, some reaction from somebody as separate from that one flow of consciousness that exists, that's a naturally Rajasic influence. So it's obvious that the majority of us, nah, you know, kind of generally vibrate on that level. That influences Tamasic finally, which views every effect as though it had no connection with any other and which disregards as irrelevant the motive, whether valid or trivial, behind the act. That's an interesting thing about tamas. <clears throat> because you'd think tamas would be ki subs, again, would kind of emphasize separateness, just as rajasik would be. But tamas says ki not only are we separate, kisi cheez mein koi connection nahi hai. Which means tamas, first and foremost, it does not believe in the or does not act according to the law of karma. Koi, my actions don't have any consequences. Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it right now because I want to do it. There's no force. There's no uniting force. That's a beautiful unity that we need to look at. Even just our own lives, how many we've lived, and if we can even feel united to one flow of consciousness that's expressing itself body after body, lifetime after lifetime. And we're unable to see that at all. So we're just thinking, hey, whatever I'm doing now, that's all there is, nothing else, koi consequence ni hone wala hai. This is, the peep, this is the version, I mean I don't want to say because it doesn't really matter what your belief systems are, but when you're naturally thinking that there's just this one life, it's all random, 
nothing really matters there are no really there are no values by which i need to live my life i just need to kind of do whatever i want in whatever moment so that becomes the tamasic version because in rajas even though you're seeing separation but you you understand big connection hai separation mein why i love certain people there must be some connection to it why i dislike some people there must be some connection to it but in tamas it's like because i want to because i don't care because that's all that matters to me and what the second part is and it disregards as irrelevant the motive whether valid or trivial behind the act so say for example i have to hurt somebody you know and when i'm hurting somebody the act of course is not so good but sometimes there's a motive behind it that you just don't know anything about that's how karma plays out isn't it you know swami gives the example of somebody who gets fired from their job to that person who has a tamasic world view it doesn't matter whether he deserved to be fired or not whether he did something horrible or not he's just going to focus on the fact that i got fired so for a tamasic understanding the activity itself is all that matters jo bahar dikh raha hai bas wahi hai jo dil mein hai the intention that i put out the motivation that inspired certain activities that doesn't matter at all so it's a very very like there is no subtler reality than this external world and jo main kar raha hu bas wahi hai once i die wo sab khatam ho jayega none of it will matter and the weird part is while we mostly have a rajasic general world view we act very often with this understanding we'll just say whatever we want to people we get upset when you know when there is no particular reason to get upset and then we get upset if other people get upset with us and we think ki oh maine kya kar diya and we forget that everything that's happening is this one continuous string of consciousness one continuous stream of consciousness expressing those varied ups and downs trying to balance itself back into that unity in sattva that unity is apparent to us in rajas that unity is you know we're trying to experience it in some fashion or the other but in tamas that unity doesn't exist at all and what's struck me most and i've mentioned this many times is by really understanding krishna's explanations on rajas tamas and sattva i've been surprised to see how much more of tamas i actually express than what i would have originally thought because this is how we live no kuch farak nahi padta oh abhi bhook lag rahi hai jitna khana hai kha lo because we don't have this awareness ki bhai we'll have me as many meals as they are needed and if i fill myself up there are going to be consequences later on no matter what and so when we live with that kind of nothing matters because nothing is connected that's what that tamasic influences now krishna is talking about a very subtle thing here this is the influence that then propels our outward expression now he comes to the action itself and he says that action is satvik which is divinely inspired performed with complete non attachment without any sense of likes or dislikes and without any desire for its fruits now ye wala to he said so many times and this is at a place where many of us can only mentally grasp a lot of what this means because the majority of us haven't even understood how we would kind of even go about such a thing 
But I think little by little, and this is where the influence of having, say, a guru, or the influence of having one reality which you keep trying to attune yourself to. That's the greatest way, the way at least we've experienced or the way I've found, that allows me to do this. This is yours, I'm doing this for you. Because I haven't yet figured out how to not be egoically involved because, well, I'm here I am, I'm completely, completely identified with this body more often than not. Every now and then I've been able to have an experience that gives me a glimpse of the power that animates the body. But the majority of my time, I'm just so subconsciously kind of identified that it becomes very hard. But that's why we create an external reality. Sometimes people are, you know, I am the guru, I am my own master, I am the, you know, I'm just trying to reach my higher self. The problem is I don't even know what my higher self is. <laughs> Everything is just being seen by the prism of an ego identification. So whatever highest self is just another version of what I would like to be. Whereas the guru becomes like an impersonal reality. He's almost, you can say, your higher self externalized so that you don't get too confused between an egoic identity and what you would call my soul longing or my higher self. But in and of himself, they don't particularly care or worry. Oh no, Shur, it's not like Krishna is saying, do everything for me because I really like it when people do these things for me. He's just giving us an external reality until we're able to refine our own understanding and then we're able to internalize that reality and realize, oh, there wasn't ever any Krishna except the state of Krishna consciousness that was always inside me. But externalizing it makes the process of approaching the divine a little bit easier since we're right now much more in a separate reality. We see the world as separate, so it helps us even to separate ourselves from Krishna, from the Guru, until we get closer and closer and closer to the two and we get to the point where as Swamiji would say, ah, Swami Kriyananda, sometimes I don't know where Kriyananda ends and Yogananda begins. Action is rajasic if it is motivated by desires, if it is performed with ego consciousness and if it produces a sense of great stress and effort. That's an interesting one. Ego motivation we understand, desires we understand, we're very comfortable with having desires and being ego motivated. But if it produces a great sense of stress and effort. So we're at a stage where our meditations are primarily rajasic because they require a lot of stress and effort from us. Like, okay, I need to meditate, Chalo, okay, hold my body still, okay, hold my mind still. So even in an activity that we would otherwise labeled sattvic, we're actually, the action itself right now for the majority of us, of us is rajasic. And then we need to know that, ah, when I get to an effortless stage in my meditation, that's when I've made that switch from rajas to sattva. And that's true for absolutely anything. As long as, <coughs> excuse me, there is stress and effort involved, there is a vibration of rajas constantly behind it. Even if you say, I don't really have any desire, I'm not doing this for myself. Even when we work for the Guru and we get stressed about it or we feel it's an effort on behalf of the Guru that we are putting, while you would think that should be a sattvic activity, 
it in fact still remains rajasic. That's why this is so lovely because it's like you can't fake it anymore. You become so self-honest and you're able to just say, okay, if in Krishna's eyes I'm still rajasic, that means now I at least know. I can't fool myself and I know if I can, I need to get to a state of ease. So the moment stress starts coming in my seva, the moment I get worried about all oh, the things that I need to do for the ashram, and you're like, wait a minute, why would I want to be there? Unless I'm at ease, whatever I put out is not going to benefit the ashram, you see? Because I'm putting out more rajas here. We guys all have rajas anyway. Nobody wants to come here to feel more rajas. They want to come here to feel a little bit more sattva. So I need to get at ease. I need to get a little bit at rest. And then do that activity. And that holds true for every one of us who performs our sevas here or any activity you do at any place. Tamasic action is performed heedlessly, without measuring one's ability and in disregard of the possible consequences. For example, failure, injury or some other disaster to oneself or others. Again, it's very similar to what we talked about. Essentially, it's subconscious. There's no awareness that we try to put into the activity. We just do it. Again, reality check. How many of our actions are just just career? No, there is no consciousness, and that's the difference. Sometimes people feel I'm in a flow. I'm just doing whatever is in front of me. But sattva is not being in this flow. Later on, Krishna talks about when you're in sattva, there's a lot of courage and zeal. There has to be a quality of so much energy, and in tamas. What's the least amount of energy I can put and get away with it? When you think that way about any activity, you're, in, you're expressing tamas. That action is called sattvic. He's still with actions, which is without ego motivation. Well, let's go figure that one out. Which cares not for either fulfillment or lack of fulfillment, success or failure. Oh, he says it right here. And which is filled with courage and zeal. I like that he put that and which is filled with courage and zeal because if I remove courage and zeal, I'm really talking about, to a certain degree, I'm talking about tamas because that's what tamas is like. I don't care. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't work out, if it doesn't work out. Sometimes that's how we think being spiritual is, by not caring. That's not what it means, not caring. It means there's so much courage and zeal, there's so much joy, there's so much enthusiasm, there's so much energy that I'm already joyful, what would the fruits do for me? <laughs> that the result couldn't make me joyful because I'm fearless, I have energy, I'm enthusiastic about what I'm doing. So the result really is inconsequential to me. I've been rereading this book by Sister Gyanamata, God Alone. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's just letters that she wrote to Yogananda, letters she wrote to a lot of disciples who would ask her for advice. And in one letter, she was writing to a younger monastic because she came into the ashram at a very later stage. I don't know, how old would she have been? Her 70s, 70s maybe? Yeah. 60s, 70s, after her husband passed away. She'd been meditating at home as a householder, you know, raised a family. But then once her husband passed away, she moved and took monastic vows and moved into the ashram with her guru. So naturally, and her body was always very weak. She faced a lot of health challenges. So a young monastic was kind of, I think, asking her, 
what would you do if you had come younger isn't this like one of those like oh i missed out on all these things if only i had come earlier what would you have done if you came younger onto the path and kind of they were expecting oh you know i would serve more and i would just you know teach more and i would whatever whatever and she said i would do exactly what i have been doing the simple tasks but more and better and that became a mantra with her more and better i do exactly what i'm doing more and better and this is what this means that sattva more and better not ma- f- f- fancy not magical not oh i'm not ego motivated at all and bhai i'm to just completely in you know why fake it more and better more and better i'll brush my teeth a little bit more <laughs> with awareness not <laughs> brush more of my teeth <laughs> and better i'll have food but more and better more awareness better involvement better offering whatever it means to you those two words more and better not i will eat more food <laughs> and better food which um, i wouldn't mind either the instrument of action which is now the individual performing it is called rajasik if he is full of attachment to and longing for its fruits if he is full of greed impure motives and ruthless determination this is another key part of rajas and if he is jubilant or depressed in the face of success or failure so rajas is always about movement weirdly sattva and tamas are about steadiness sattva is steady in contentment and high energy tamas is steady in contentment as a stagnant state of low energy and often tamas can masquerade itself as sattva oh mujhe kuch nahi chahiye mujhe kuch karna hai because mujhe kuch karna hi nahi hai you know not because mujhe kuch chahiye nahi but i don't want to do anything about it and the rajas is all about extremes ab main bahut khush hu ab main bahut dukhi hu ab ye bahut maza aa raha hai ab bilkul maza nahi aa raha hai now i'm bored now i'm excited now i'm bored again having kept it because i can't maintain what excitement and enthusiasm is in my life and that's that rajasik flow and rajas is about living in the future primarily already thinking about what the next day will bring kal kya hone wala hai once i finish this activity mujhe kya milne wala hai meditation ke baad mujhe kya benefits hone wale hain all that naturally keeps us a little bit just externalized tamasic action is vacillating vulgarly ostentatious <laughs> krishna uses these fancy words obstinate unscrupulous deceitful frequently motivated by malice laziness and procrastinating chalo काफी तो हमारी क्वालिटीज आ गए इसमें प्रोक्रास्टिनेशन जस्ट लाइक करो एज मच एज वी कैन लेजीनेस इज लाइक बाद में देखेंगे और यू नो नारायण वॉज टॉकिंग टू अ ग्रुप टू डे दिस मॉर्निंग एंड जस्ट सिंग्स लाइक समटाइम्स अलार्म रिंग्स एंड आर फर्स्ट थॉट इज लाइक यू नो स्नूज करे कि क्या करे और लाइक ओ नो थोड़ा और टाइम एंड इट्स जस्ट अमेजिंग हाउ दैट्स यू नो जस्ट कैन बिकम द वाइब्रेशन ऑफ हाउ वी एक्सपीरियंस दिस वर्ल्ड not yet not now if onlys and that's that tamasic reality kitna niche my energy can be and i love these words vacillating not in the same sense of
राजस बिकॉज राजस रूथलेस डिटर्मिनेशन एज पार्ट ऑफ इट चाहिए मुझे I want this. I want that promotion. I want that praise, and I want people to recognize me, and I want people to love me. And so there's determination there, but determination for those goals that whatever you've created. In Thomas is just, कभी हाँ तो कभी ना कभी करते हैं तो कभी नहीं करते हैं, and mostly as an ostentatious expression. So many people sometimes, you know. they'll commit to things just so that you think that they are interested or active or wanting to serve but then you never actually get anything out of them not that we need anything out of them but that's the that's that vibration batane mein i want to show ki i'm willing to do a lot and i have all these plans but it's only so that you think i am a good disciple or i know spirituality i'm actually not really even interested in manifesting anything because there's not enough rajas in me to even determine me to do something great wouldn't that be lovely i want to do something great for god but i also want people to know that i did the great thing that's so much better than to just talk and talk but do absolutely nothing and that's again for anything in this world in relationships how many times narayani would ask me expect something of me and sometimes i'll just be like okay i i i'll do better but somewhere in my mind i'm actually not that interested in doing better because it takes so much more energy to do better and it takes absolutely no energy at all to be exactly how shurjo is and what's wrong with shurjo being who he is and that's how the tamasic mind kind of influences all our actions it's not about what we say it's not about how we do it it's that inner voice that behind everything says chal abo budu ban gayi now narayani thinks shurjo is going to do better that's all i need to know that's all i wanted to do that was my motivation not that i would actually do better but that narayani now thinks shurjo will do better and that's that tamasic vibration behind practically everything and weirdly again the spiritual path has a lot of that It's just so weird how much of tamas has crept into what we would today kind of naturally show as a spiritual outlook towards life. The world out there when you're doing your job, that's sometimes way better because wow, there's forced rajas. And that forced rajas for the majority of our consciousness can be so helpful. We've seen several times in people who've given up outward responsibilities to give their lives fully to the ashram or to any spiritual journey or to what they would call following my passion and then you see they don't do anything <laughs> or they don't do enough of it they were doing so much better if they had to just wake up in the morning go to office put out energy every day fight through all the politics at work keep their energy high as much as they can put out the effort it takes to excel at what they're doing that's so much better than to now just sit contemplate and think and talk and let people know now i will do this and now i have want to do that and absolutely do nothing at all so we really have to be again just extremely extremely honest on this journey otherwise the problem and this is where the gunas is another i'm talking about the gunas as a means to show how we move forward but what it also shows is how we so easily move backward 
and that's in fact another wonderful way to look at the gunas bhai main to piche chala gaya i thought mai abhi spiritual ban gaya but now so many of the qualities that i had developed i no longer am able to put into practice anymore and what does that mean for me but there's another beauty here that swami brings out and i'll probably end with that thought is that he says that life is or the evolution of the soul is cyclical and an upward spiral which means that let's look at what a cycle would first be sattva rajas tamas returning back into sattva rajas tamas and that's why sattva and rajas uh, sattva and tamas in fact are very similar because they close the circle whereas rajas is fairly obvious bhai ye rajas hai and ye tamas hai and ye sattva hai thoda sa hi alag hai tamas and sattva mein but it's not a closed circle it's actually a spiral which keeps moving up but what swami was saying is your material tamas or your material sattva becomes your spiritual tamas then becomes rajas and it keeps returning again and again again and again again and again and this is how we're moving upward we're not moving up like this through tamas rajas it's not like a cd in that sense it's in fact like a roller coaster kind of ride going round and round and round and round and that is why sometimes it feels we take steps back on the spiritual path but those steps back are actually just a higher version where what was sattva for you has now become tamas until at that level of vibration you are able to turn it into sattva again and at that higher level it becomes tamas and that is why as we spoke about before even the saints express all three gunas but for what is tamas for them is sattva for many of us because it's cyclical because that same vibration has to manifest on so many levels and that is why krishna is trying to bring the gunas out of in so many different ways kabhi actions mein kabhi thoughts mein kabhi devotion mein kabhi what a person who is satvik is what is their intention how will we know what their intentions are so he's giving us every possible way for us to get a sense where am i where's my next natural step and what is the difference vibrationally between what i would consider tamas and what i would consider sattva and on each level through the gunas we get to get an honest a practical a tangible a measurable form of me who kaha me kaha ja raha hu and that's the most valuable thing we can have on the spiritual path otherwise the path can be vague the path can be you know make it out of your own likes and dislikes jao jo karna hai karo and that's another stage that's the rajasic version of the spiritual path jo karna hai karo but if we're really looking and this is why the last chapter is called moksha sanyas if that's something that's truly a part of your eventual hope it's not necessarily there for everybody which is totally fine but even if you are looking for moksha from i'm looking for moksha from anger you know then that means sanyas has to be a part of it i'm looking for moksha from getting entangled into relationships that don't serve me well, then sanyas is going to be involved i'm looking for moksha from you know constantly being influenced by other people's opinions about me i mean moksha is not ki some you know state of complete 
surrender in a vague infinite bliss. Moksha is freedom. Freedom from at every stage of our lives. We're all looking for freedom. I want to be free from fear. I want to be free from, you know, all these things that I've already talked about. And that's the journey that we each have to take. And that's why the Gita and all scriptures are so powerful because it relates to us wherever we are. We're of course trying our best to share the Gita from the perspective because we believe the moksha we are looking for is, is that highest state. We're not there yet because we're realizing there's a lot of mini mokshas to be had on the journey. But at least idea and we're moving in that spiral upward form. But at each spiral there is a moksha to be had. At each spiral there is a sannyas to be expressed. And that's what we need to joyfully, willingly, honestly look at. And uh, I guess that's something we can leave the gunas on for today. gunas. <laughs> we still have several more of the gunas to continue. So much to think about and do about. <laughs> I was thinking that for me personally, I find that I'm able to manifest uh, a little bit more of sadvic energy of my nature when I am at my center because I'm not only influenced by my past karma, but I am also influenced by the vibration of the planet I live in. The planet Earth is a planet that is influenced and emanates a vibration of rajas. So I'm influenced constantly, daily, 24 hours by these two currents. My past karma and all my ego-motivated actions from the past, and in addition, the rajasic influence of this planet. So I was thinking, if when I'm at my center, I'm able to channel a higher version of myself in how I think about other people, the words I use, the movements I make, and the motivation behind my actions, I was thinking, perhaps I should practice something daily that will keep remind me to be at my center. And I was thinking that pranayama is a wonderful tool to balance perfectly that rajasic energy that's constantly going on within me through the ida and the pingala. Today I'm super high, five minutes later I'm super low. This motivates me, this depresses me. Now I'm going to say a wonderful word, but now I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to say something very nasty to somebody else. I'm constant, constantly being a slave of my inner rajasic energy. So pranayam helps to equal, to balance that current of energy going on within our spine in the Shushumna. 
So I would like to propose as a challenge to practice this particular pranayam, the even count breathing pranayam, which the only purpose is to balance these two currents of energy within us, the rajasic energy, because the more we find our center, the more in harmony we are with the harmonious uh, actions. Because if our attitude is right, the action that will follow that attitude most of the time tends to be sadvik. So if I work first to have and develop the right attitude, instantly I will feel inspired to add motivated by that uplifting attitude. And pranayam helps us to shift our energy from rajas, from restlessness, to calmness, to stillness, to centeredness, to perfect harmony with our highest self. So I'm going to propose for each one of us for the next seven days to practice this pranayam every three hours, just as a reminder and as a tool to shift and to double check our energy and to shift from that rajasic influence that is constantly going on through, you know, through this planet, through the people we live with, through the activities that we are part of, and just find that center of peace, of stillness, and then move on with the next activity and see how the practice of that pranayama more often, more constantly, daily, will act as a reminder of Okay, where is my energy? Let me withdraw a little bit more. Let me center. And from that center, let me keep, you know, working with my own daily karma as it comes. But if I find that center, I'll be able to deal more harmoniously and more savagely. Savagely. Oh my God, savagely. <laughs> So I, I don't know if that's a word. It's a, taking a Sanskrit word and giving sounds, it an it English. It sounds like a word. <laughs> so anyway, I would suggest that for many of us to practice every three hours, they even count breathing. How many rounds have you said? So let's say, for example, 10, which that can be enough of a practice to feel that shift of energy and awareness within us. For any of you who don't know, it's a very simple pranayam. You inhale to a count of 10, for example. Hold your breath to a count of 10. Exhale to the same amount. So inhale through the nose, 10. Hold your breath, 10. Exhale through the nose, 10. So we'll do this 10 times every three hours. And let's see if at the end of each day we feel that, wow, we have been able to bring back ourselves to that moment and that place of rest 
within us because the more we are at our center, the more awareness we'll have throughout the day and really realize what are the priorities, the people and the details that we need to pay attention to on a daily basis. Do you want to do the pranayam then instead of the om? That we okay, just... we can do that. Okay, do so, it now. Yes, let's do it now. Let's take a moment now. Find that perfect posture where the spine is straight. <coughs> so the energy can flow freely upward. Uplift your gaze at the point between the eyebrows. <coughs> and with the next inhalation, inhale through the nose to a count of 10. Hold your breath, keep your gaze uplifted, enjoy this moment of pause, exhale through the nose. Inhale. Hold that moment of breathlessness of perfect centeredness. Exhale. Twice more, inhale. Hold. Balance that Ida and Pingala within the spine, within the Shushumna. And exhale through the nose. Inhale in control of your life force, becoming a master of your energy. Hold. Exhale. Twice more actually. Inhale through the nose, deliberately, consciously, Hold. Exhale through the nose. One last time as you inhale, enjoy this breathing pranayam that has the power to center your breath, your mind, your body, hold. Exhale. Now let your breath flow freely. But scan your energy and feel that place within you of rest, stillness, yet very dynamic energy. 
because the energy has been interiorized and uplifted, balanced. And whenever you are ready, open your eyes and see if you can bring this centeredness into your next activity, interaction, the kind of words you use, and the vibration behind your words. Well, <clears throat> thank you very thank you much. Thank you so much for sharing your Thursday evening with us. Um, let's really try our absolute best to do this practice. We've already done, we've already started with devotion. Mm -hmm. Keep that affirmation going if you can. I was just playing a fun kind of thought in my mind where you can repeat the line, the first line of the affirmation, inhaling, you can repeat the second line and hold the breath and you can kind of combine the two if that's a fun way you want to do it. But Let's try and practice this yeah. with those of us who are in a group together. We'll keep sharing and saying, we're doing our pranayam <laughs> now, but if we are not there to support you, I hope you have others who can do that for you. God bless you all. Jai Guru.